2: The Planet Football Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code PLANET at fanduel.com for a bonus match of up to $200. We're also brought to you by the SeatGeek app, the easiest way to find a great deal, pay for your ticket, and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code PLANET for $20 off your first purchase.
3: 2015 was a bad year for the U.S. men's national team, any way you look at it. And you look at some of the fundamental things that have marked this team over the years, um, they're not there right now. What is the U.S. getting in a player like Nagby? And and if he gets an opportunity, is this a a player the national team could potentially build around?
1: For sure, I think uh, he's different.
2: Welcome to SI's Planet Football Podcast, where each week we discuss the latest in the world of soccer. I am SI.com soccer editor Avi Creditor, joined today by SI senior writer Grant Wall and SI.com's Brian Strauss. Both of you guys back from uh, time away with the U.S. men's national team. Welcome.
3: Good to be back. Uh, Brian took St. Louis, I took Trinidad. Um, You know, four points.
2: Four points, indeed. Uh, Later on we will have an interview with Portland Timbers manager Caleb Porter, so be sure to stick around for that. MLS playoffs on the horizon, conference finals coming up this weekend, but guys, let's start with the U.S. men. Uh, Grant, like you said, four points. Um, I a lot of consternation over this. I, you know, a 0-0 draw in Trinidad didn't look all that great, but that said, they won at home, they got a point on the road. Isn't that kind of the formula for success in World Cup qualifying?
3: Well, besides being very excited to get the term poop emojis into my three thoughts <laughs> on the Trinidad game, uh, I, I understand what fans you know kind of saying meh about that game or or worse uh, down in Trinidad. That said, it's a point on the road and the formula basically remains the same. If you win your games at home and qualifying and you uh, tie on the road, you're going to qualify for the World Cup. Um, so I, I think it's important to say like the us is not in any danger of going out of the semifinal round of World Cup qualifying, and and they're on track. And so that is separate from, I think, heading into 2016, is this team going to be able to regain some of its identity? Because I think it lost a lot of it in 2015. 2015 was a bad year for the U.S. men's national team, any way you look at it. And you look at some of the fundamental things that have marked this team over the years, um, they're not there right now. Uh, just as far as kind of uh, athleticism, uh, um, you know, just uh, fitness. Uh, you, you never thought that fitness would be an issue for the U.S. national team. Well, according to Jürgen Klinsmann, it was. Um, you know, even some of the things like uh, never quitting in the game. You know, I felt like against Brazil, that team quit in the second half. So uh, there's a lot that needs to get better in
2: 2016. Brian, uh, what do you think? Four points from these two first World Cup qualifiers. Uh, you were at the one in, in St. Louis, which after five minutes did not look so promising. And then after the next 85 was was a laugher. Uh, what, what, what's your take?
0: It was just incredible when St. Vincent took the lead in that game. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the sort of the, the, the disbelief and almost the laughter sort of in the press box at Bush Stadium when that happened, I'll, I'll never forget it. It was totally surreal. Um, but the response was good. I mean, I, again, I mean, if you look at the four points, you look at the results, you look at the black and white, and as Grant said, it's good enough. Um, but of course, we look at more than that. We look at trends, we look at context, uh, we look at trajectory. Um, and in that sense, uh, after what we, you know, you accurately describe as a bad year, a- at the tail end of that, it wasn't so bad. Yes, they went down early to St. Vincent, but they responded really well and they controlled that game. Um, and then against Trinidad, again, rough opening, almost go down uh, one goal. What was it, 20 seconds in? But they responded and they dominated that second half and they, and they go away from 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 Port of Spain saying, you know, we probably should have won that game. We had our chances to win that game. And that's a lot better. That's a lot more uh, – that, that boosts confidence a lot better than saying, wow, we were awful and we are lucky uh, to, to, to grind out a result we didn't deserve. Um, they should have won that game. So So I think – Yes, a ton of work to do, a ton of questions to answer. Um, certainly in terms of tactically, uh, we, we saw things in these two games that Jurgen really, really needs to have an open mind about and needs to consider. But overall, again, good response against St. Vincent, dominating a team you should dominate. And then against Trinidad, uh, starting rough, uh, lacking synchronicity in the first half, but in the second half, you know, really playing higher, playing more aggressively, creating some chances uh and, and it's a game they could have gotten three points out of, so it's not all doom and gloom if Jurgen is willing to see the signs here
2: and there's there's two ways to look at it, right It's these games in a vacuum and then there's these games with the backdrop of Jurgen's mandate and if if you're looking at it just in a vacuum that okay, four points is fine. I mean they're you know the the hardest game of this round is out of the way. Chances are they'll take six points off Guatemala. They'll probably be qualified before they play Trinidad and Tobago in the in the group finale um, next September. So they're right on track. But then you you look at at the bigger picture and the context, like you're talking about Brian, uh, with you know everything that Jurgen has has promised, and again we're we're left uh, just kind of you know hands just kind of shrugged out like.
0: Okay. I'm over. I'm over what he promised in 2011. That, that's it's done. I mean, there's just, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Um, we, we, we bring it up only to sort of, you know, shine a spotlight on the folly of it all, but it's not going to happen. Um, what, 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 what Jurgen needs to get back to is what Grant and I have both written about in recent days is, is finding an identity with, for this team, finding a, a, a system that the guys can come in and rely on and anticipate Uh, A system that guys understand so you can plug in players when other guys aren't available, um, making the best out of what you have uh, and something that they can count on going forward. I mean more than one player has said something along the lines of "You know, when when you come into national team camp, you want to know what you're getting into. Uh, You want to know the way you're going to play. You want to have a sense of how things are structured. And so that's something again. If Jurgen is willing to see that, that's something that he can he can focus on in 2016 to sort of turn this thing around. I'll give you an example. Um, in these two games, we saw the difference between Michael Bradley as a deep lying sort of sort of playmaker and metronome, and Michael Bradley as someone who was told to jumpstart the attack, like he was through much of the first half against Trinidad. He's simply not a number ten. And what we saw against Saint Vincent, and again, I realize it's a, it, it, you know they have like fishermen on their team. I get that. But when Michael Bradley is sitting in front of a back four, he's got the field in front of him. He's got time to, 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 to move the ball, bring guys into the game, see the field, set a tempo. He's just a much better player there than he is when he's pushed higher. So again, this is something if Jurgen's willing to see it, he can start to build a foundation. He can start to build some predictability, put some guys in positions where they're best, and, and move forward and perhaps be competitive at, at Copa America. Uh, if he's not, if he insists on tinkering, if he insists on being an idealist, uh, then we're going to see some of the same problems next year we did this year.
3: Michael Bradley, at his best, is a box-to-box midfielder. That's always been the case. And if you add maybe a little bit of Pirlo-style playmaking from deep, then okay. you know, I think that's the position he would prefer to play in. And so... In the end, that's up to Jurgen Klinsman. And I do think the starting we're starting to see the emergence of Darlington Nagby potentially. And I found it interesting Tim Howard and Klinsmann were really, really positive about Nagby uh, after the Trinidad game. And I think it's less to do with what he actually brought to the games in a substitutes role, but what they saw in training. You know, when you talk to people on that coaching staff about training over the past week and a half, Darlington Nagby was the guy they mentioned more than anybody. And so I would like to see Nagby get a chance to play a more advanced, even central role. Uh, and maybe that requires going to a 4-2-3-1, you know, or a 4-3-3 um, uh, for the U.S. And I know that Josie Alcidore hasn't had a ton of success as a lone striker over the years, but, um, you know, maybe maybe he could. Maybe other people can get that opportunity as well. So uh, I think Nagby's a guy to watch. I think another encouraging sign is that Matt Beesler and Jeff Cameron appear to be doing pretty well in the central defense. And these are the two guys who, based on their club performances, you would probably want to have in those two spots. And Klinsman may have finally seen the light on that. Um, So I think that's encouraging. Tim Howard, after the game, talked to us about how you really do want to see that partnership continue game after game after game. You don't want to have a bunch of you know, switching around and bringing new guys in. Now, he laughed as he was saying this because he's like, well, aside from the goalkeeper rotation, because that's going to continue
0: <laughs> switching
3: up. Uh, but uh, that appears to be the way, you know, it will be going forward. But for Beisler and Cameron to be the two center backs going forward, I think is the right move.
2: Um, we'll have much more in Darlington Agme later on uh, when we have Caleb Porter on, on the show. Uh, the smile on his face when he got his first cap when he was running onto the field. You know, forget forget all the other stuff going on. That's That's cool, right? That's a great moment. You see a guy really recognizing his, his dream and living it out.
0: Yeah. When, he, uh, when a U.S. player gets his first cap, all the guys in the locker room sign a ball for him. Um, so it was cool. There was, you know, as we're sitting in the waiting in the mix zone in St. Louis for a really long time, for some reason, I can't figure out why it took so long, but, uh, so s- sorry about that night desk. Um, <laughs> but, uh, while we were waiting, uh, you on one of the equipment guys brought out, you know, had in his arms two, two white balls signed by all the guys. And you knew that those were for, for Nagby and Miazga. So that was kind of neat.
2: Very cool. Very cool. Indeed. Um, Grant, one thing you touched on a little bit about the Trinidad game, uh, the absence of Clint Dempsey, how that might've impacted things. Jossie's artists had two great chances served up for him on a platter by Josie Altador across from either side of the field uh, and both, one, he missed entirely. The other, he headed it off with the crossbar. Uh, now, you can't say if Dempsey would have been in the exact position because maybe he wouldn't have been on that same part in the field. But you also can definitely speculate that maybe Clint puts away one of those chances and the USA has three points instead of one.
3: The simple truth is that Zardes at that level in that game has to finish one of those two opportunities, especially the one that Altidore just served up on a platter for him that he hit off the woodwork. Um, you can't miss. You just can't. Uh, and that kept the U.S. from getting three points in this game, plain and simple. And, uh, you know, I know Zardes is a guy who's had a, a nice emergent year in 2015. One of the real success stories coming in at you know, the January camp, winning a spot. And overall, he's had a good year. But, um, you know, that's a, a really tough miss for him, especially when Clint Dempsey scored nine goals in 10 U.S. games this year and admittedly had a bad game against Mexico. But do you drop him after one bad big game? Uh, wasn't called in. You know, Stephen Hart, the coach for Trinidad, said he was overjoyed when he found out that Clint Dempsey would not be part of this U.S. squad, and I think it's a, a very worthwhile point to make that uh, if Dempsey's out there, uh, maybe you get three points in this game. Now, Klinsman afterward argued that, well, Zardes had the smell to get to, you know, the smell for the goal, which is an interesting <laughs> expression, um, mm. to get himself in the position to to have those shots, and you know, you could certainly argue that Dempsey might not have been able to get into those positions, but knowing Dempsey, I think he might have.
2: Smell for the goal. Interesting. Maybe rename the podcast "Smell for the Goal." Uh, what's What's one word, Brian? Let's start with you uh, that comes to mind to describe the year that was for the U.S. Men.
0: Uh, it's a good, uh, good question. Let's go with perplexing. Um, you know, perplexed by. Uh, this team's poor form against uh, opponents it should be beating, especially at home. Uh, perplexed by some of Klinsman's decisions, and especially by some of his denial. Um, perplexed by some of the debate that surrounds the team. Um, you know, perplexed by the, the the lack of progress or identity or definition. So maybe that's a cop out word, but that's the word that comes to mind.
2: No, I think that's 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 pretty appropriate, Grant. Uh, what what do you got?
3: disappointing i mean like it's something where you when you looked ahead last january to this year and you were like well the u.s has a pretty darn good chance of qualifying for confederations cup they just either have to win gold cup or if they don't do that uh win the playoff they didn't do either uh and they look bad doing it you know just in the competitive games this year and you can talk all you want about you know friendly wins at netherlands and uh in germany and, and that's great you know but uh, those aren't competitive games, and if you can't, you know, if you're losing to Jamaica on home soil in games that matter, if you're losing to Panama, if you're losing to Costa Rica in friendlies, if you're giving up against Brazil, um, that's not good, you know, and, and that's not one game. That's, that's a trend, and so we're sort of here to look at trends, and, and uh, the trends aren't going in the right direction. Most national team coaches around the world would have been fired by now based on Jurgen Klinsmann's job performance in 2015. That's a fact.
2: If I had to pick a word uh, for 2015 for the U.S. men, I would say backward. Uh, yeah. Say what you want of how they played in Brazil at the World Cup in 2014, but they got out of that tough group and they're within, as we all know, one pretty good chance of uh, of reaching the, the quarterfinals, um, whether it was deserved or not, uh, based on how that game played out. Uh, and then you look at 2015, where, where like you said, they have, these opportunities to, to reach these landmarks, and, and they don't. And they have all these opportunities to, to build on, you know, the building blocks that they had in 2014, and, and they don't. And they look terrible in the Gold Cup, uh, just losing to CONCACAF teams at home. There's just things that don't happen, that shouldn't be happening, especially when this is supposed to be such a forward-looking time for this program.
3: If you're trying to look on the bright side, I guess if you're going to have a miserable year, the year after a World Cup is the year to have it.
2: That's that's true. Uh, but that's, that's being pretty pretty positive. That's that's <laughs> that's one way to spin it. Um, <laughs> let's let's keep spinning it forward though. Uh, 2016. Uh, Brian, are there any stalwart players you see being phased out? What what's your your forecast for the year? Do you see? I mean, there's a Copa America coming up. More World Cup qualifiers uh, that that should be won. Um, what what do you see?
0: I think I promised at some point never to make more predictions about what Klinsman's going to do with his roster because uh, <laughs> it's 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 dumb. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously there are players that you look at who uh, you imagine perhaps wanting to hang on for Copa America and then perhaps uh, sort of making their way out. Obviously, Clint Dempsey uh, leads that list. You think about guys like. Jermaine Jones, Kyle Beckerman, Nick Romando—you um, know these are guys uh, in their thirties um, who who have been awesome servants to the to, to the program. But you know, if if this team is going to start developing and evolving and giving guys like Darlington Nagby, uh, like Bobby Wood, um, you know, like I said, I I think Michael Bradley should 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 play further back in midfield. Um, which then, you know, makes, makes Jones and Beckerman perhaps expendable over the long run. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, I mean, the obvious names. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's time for, for Jurgen to start looking at uh, what this team's going to look like as it, uh, you know, exits 2017 and enters 2018. I mean, he's, he said during his press conference in St. Louis that this, that's not a six-month process. You know, you start that now and you start envisioning what a team that you're going to take to Russia is going to look like. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you got to get there. But I, I think, you know, when you start to think about January camp and you start to think about, you know, Sebastian Legette and Ethan Finley and Will Trapp and more of Matt Miazga and, you know, is, is uh, Jordan Morris and, you know, whatever happened to, you know, Ruby Rubin and, you know, Terrence Boyd and Danny Williams and Emerson Hyman. I mean, there's so many players out there that, that you want to get a look at over the next 12 months uh, because maybe they're in the frame for 2018. So, so while this was supposed to be the year of transition, it really wasn't because Jurgen flailed and, 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 and mixed and matched the wrong group of veterans and new guys and lost the gold cup. So I think next year is going to have to be, uh, the year of transition that this year was supposed to be. And so, uh, ho- hopefully we see some of those younger guys get their chance. Um, you know, Grant mentioned that, uh, he was frustrated watching uh, guys reluctant to take players on in Trinidad well in, in in Nagby and Bobby Wood, you have players who who are willing to do that and perhaps aren't damaged goods at this point. Um, so it's time to give those guys a look
2: uh, all right grant let's uh, let's shake up your crystal ball what, uh, what do you see looking ahead to 2016 for the u s men?
0: Well, I think a lot depends on whether the u
3: s qualifies for the Olympics or not, and that's a, a tough order having to play a home and home against Colombia. Uh, in March. Uh, I think if they really want to win that, it would certainly help if the U.S. has already qualified for the next round of World Cup qualifying by then. But age-eligible guys like DeAndre Yedlin, Jordan Morris, um, uh, Matt Miazga, you know, a lot of those guys you would probably want to be involved. John Brooks, um, maybe even Julian Green. Uh, in the, You, know, you want to give yourself the best chance possible of getting to the Olympics, and then that will help get guys more seasoned, the younger guys, than if you have to just try and somehow do it while you're in World Cup qualifying. Uh, It'll make things a lot easier, I think. So, um, you know, you look at the big events also, Copa America Centenario. I find it interesting that Clint Dempsey is is being phased out and we aren't really thinking he's going to be involved uh, past Copa America. And yet Jermaine Jones, I, I could see playing through 2018 at this point, Klinsman loves Jermaine Jones. And he was a true warrior the other night. Um, You know came into that game injured, you know hit the deck a bunch of times Uh, And he certainly has an element that he brings to the field that Klinsman clearly wants on the field Uh, But you know, we're not talking about Jermaine Jones really being phased out and and I think you know, that's that's interesting to me um so There's a lot that that could happen, you know, I mean guys uh, if, If Dempsey's is he done? um I don't know, you know, and uh, and how will the U.S. do in Copa America? Um, I look at it and I see they're probably going to get a, a pretty sweetheart draw because they'll be a seeded team, uh, so chances are good to advance, and that will be good from a results perspective to look at that tournament. Um, and then, you know, how will they do in in the knockout rounds uh, in a quarterfinal against a really good Ecuador team, you know, that's playing great soccer right now, I, you know. I, I'm looking forward to finding out though. Uh,
2: yeah, and you know what? I think March is going to be a really telling month uh, for how the year is going to go, right? Because like you said, the Olympic qualifying, or the, the playoff anyway, uh, a year with Copa America and the Olympics and the start to the hex is a lot more exciting and, and easy to to get kind of galvanized about as opposed to then all of a sudden you look at Copa America and it doesn't really matter. And, and you know, if this, if the senior team hasn't fully qualified for the Hex uh, after the two Guatemala games, which, possible. Um, you know, then you're looking at September either really mattering or, or not mattering at all, and then, then the Hex starts in November, but then eh, it's kind of like a long year if you really have to wait until November for something. Uh,
3: I like the fact there are fewer friendlies. Yeah, we're actually yeah, going to yeah. get more competitive games than typically for for U.S. soccer in this stage of the four-year cycle, and I'd much rather have that than some meaningless friendlies.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right, well, like, Plenty uh, to look forward to. And after 2015, nowhere to go but up. Hey, U.S. Men's National Dean. uh, We are going to take a, uh, a quick break and then come back, look ahead uh, to what's going on uh, this weekend, both in MLS and around the world. College basketball is back. The NFL is in full swing and NBA players like Steph Curry and Russell Westbrook are already in midseason form. Make this the week you get off the couch and go see a game. The SeatGeek app is the best way to find a great deal on tickets and get to your seat. And get this, when you use our code PLANET, you get a check back for $20. Here's how it works. You download the SeatGeek app on your iPhone or Android. It's free and takes less than a minute to download. Then you search for your event, find a great deal, enter our code PLANET, and when you complete your purchase, SeatGeek will send a $20 check to your house. It's that easy. SeatGeek pulls in ticket options from hundreds of sellers online and shows you the best deals automatically. When you shop on SeatGeek, you're seeing virtually every ticket option available all on one page. They also have a feature called Deal Score. It ranks every ticket on the market with a value score and plots the best deals on a color-coded map of the venue. Finally, SeatGeek's mobile app makes the ticket buying process seamless, easy, and safe. On SeatGeek, you can store your credit card, and once you find a ticket you want to buy, you can make the purchase with two quick taps of your phone. There's no faster way to buy tickets. So, to redeem your promo code and get your $20 check, Download the free SeatGeek app today, enter promo code PLANET in the app, and SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. For the best deals to go see sports and concerts, use the SeatGeek app and our code PLANET to save $20. All right, welcome back on a football podcast. We are looking ahead to the weekend now. Um... Let's start domestically before we head uh overseas. Obviously the Classico is is gonna be taking a lot of attention. Uh, but MLS Playoffs Conference finals kickoff first legs Columbus crew, New York Red Bulls, and Portland Timbers, FC Dallas. We will have Timbers manager Caleb Porter on very soon, so stay tuned for that. Um Brian, let's let's start with you and, and stick in the Eastern Conference. Uh Columbus, New York Red Bulls, Miazga came through unscathed. That's good news for the Red Bulls, because um, their their back line is is a little thin. Solid but thin. Uh, what, what do you think about this series uh, as it kicks off?
0: Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think this is the two best teams in the conference, um, so that that's uh, that's pleasing from a competitive standpoint, uh, and and that the tactical matchup is fascinating. I mean, you have you know what what we've all what we all now revere in the New York Red Bulls press uh, and the way they um, you know they're the highest scoring team in the league, and, the, and that and that comes from from you know winning the ball, uh, in dangerous positions, um, and, and, and harassing teams into, into uncomfortable spots. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's, pretty awesome to behold. Uh, and, and, and uh, they're going to be going up against a Columbus crew team. That's as dynamic as any team in the league. I mean, the way that they, uh, you know, are the, three, the three guys they, that play in the middle, uh, trap Johnny and then, and then Higuain on top of them, the way they, uh, find angles. And the way that they bring uh, their wingers and Kai Kamara into the, into the play, the way they get behind back fours, uh, the way they you know spread the field and, and find channels and find space, it's so much fun to watch. And when they're on a roll, they can be absolutely devastating. And so to, 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 to watch them try to figure out how to break that press uh, and how to create mismatches on the flanks with Merriman Finley is going to be really fun to watch. Um, and hopefully I get my feature on Ethan Finley done before kickoff,
2: <laughs> uh, rematch of the 2008 MLS cup final when the Western conference champion, New York Red Bulls, uh, made it in, in self, the, only, uh... <laughs>
0: the only final I, I missed, uh, and I don't mean miss like in person. I've only, I've, I've been to, I think 10 in person and then watched the other ones on TV, except that one, I was in Mexico for completely unrelated reasons. And I, I never saw that game. Uh, so, um random stupid trivia (laughs) i know it happens i believe you i believe that it's a rematch of the 2008 final i just never i never watched uh
2: obviously first legs grant tend to be a little cage teams don't want to go for it and then get burned especially the home teams because you give up that early away goal and then all of a sudden you're way way behind um let's let's look at the western conference though portland fc dallas um fc dallas a team fighting for respect, I feel like. They they don't feel like anyone is considering them favorites, even though they had the same amount of points as the Red Bulls. The only reason they don't have the supporter shields is because they had uh, one fewer win. So what what do you think about about this team, Oscar Pereja, and then going up against uh, Portland and, and Caleb Porter?
3: Well, first, let me say that I think Dallas is the favorite in this series against Portland. You hear that, Dallas? So... For what that's worth.
0: <laughs> but anyway, um, I think uh, I think Seattle's going to win this series. <laughs> <laughs> but when you look at it,
3: what you know from an attack perspective, what Marro Diaz, what Fabian Castillo are bringing right now to the table for Dallas, those guys are so much fun to watch, and uh, they had a good series against Dallas and or against uh, Seattle, and so I, I like the the mix that Oscar Perez has put together. Uh, of threats on this team. I think the defense is pretty good, too, uh, led by Matt Hedges, who uh, maybe should be considered by Jurgen Klinsmann to come into a camp. Um, you know, Jesse Gonzalez, the 20-year-old goalkeeper, had a, a terrific uh, performance against Seattle, especially in the penalty kicks. And um, if you like young teams and you like to see new faces emerging, you know, Dallas should be your team, you know? I mean, there, there's a lot of exciting Youthful energy on this team. They're not maybe huge names, but they're a lot of fun to watch and, and so um, You know what's cool about Portland is that they're playing really good soccer right now and So I think both of these series in the semifinals are going to be terrific um, You know you look at what Caleb Porter's done. We're going to talk to him here in a bit uh, They they cleaned up their defense this year. They gave up so many goals last year and uh, really were much better in that area Nat Borchers coming in has made a big big difference for Portland I'm uh, being a team that's hard to play against now in a way that they weren't last year. And uh, and so the move of Darlington Nagby to a central position, uh, the fact that he's coming back uh, at 100% and not with a hamstring injury, I know that was a concern for Portland when he went to the national team. Uh, it's going to be cool to see both teams going against each other at full strength here. And I think that uh, certainly with Valeri and Nagby, Portland is capable of breaking down Dallas. and uh, And we've already talked about what, you know, Uh, dallas can bring with a guy like castillo and and, and diaz so uh it may be a little close to the vest in the first game uh in portland but i don't think caleb porter wants to leave portland uh, without a goal or two so they're gonna have to get that this weekend
2: absolutely and and i know we were talking about the u.s as a team that that was lacking in identity i think in this conference finals we have four teams that have identities and and i think that you know, you you know what you're getting from each of them when they take the field, and I think that these matchups are are going to be fascinating to play out.
3: And you've got four coaches who are pretty young coaches who all can make a case to be in the U.S. national team coaching picture before too long. Here with Greg Berhalter, Jesse Marsh, Caleb Porter, and Oscar Pereja. So um, I'll, I'll be very curious to see how they respond in. This pressure-packed environment uh, over the two legs.
2: That's a great point. Um, whichever one ends up winning, you know, this MLS Cup, that's that is a definite uh, notch on the belt. Um, and and like you said, they're all managers to watch for the future. Um, again, those first legs kick off on Sunday. Following second legs are uh, Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend. So uh, eat those leftovers, watch some MLS playoffs. Can't beat that. Uh, elsewhere around the world, uh, the Saturday. Uh, is the classical Real Madrid Barcelona the first one of the season it's in Madrid uh, Lionel Messi we don't know if he's going to play or not yet coming off of that knee injury Uh for my money it's it's the best club rivalry in the world you're you're never really uh, left wanting more right they always put on a show whether it's theatrics whether it's uh going after a referee or, or whether it's some some really good soccer grant uh, just Level of excitement for this game?
3: Oh, extremely high, as always. Uh, This game is always on my calendar as much in advance as it can be, depending on when they tell us what time the game's gonna be. (laughs) It's at noon Eastern on Saturday on BN Sports. Nice to see them sending Ray Hudson and Phil Shane on site to call the game uh, the biggest game that they broadcast all year. Um, You know, a couple of things on, on this game. One, I'm a little bummed out that it's coming directly after a FIFA window because that's the time when uh, the FIFA flu tends to happen and you see really top teams not playing at total full strength because their best players have been traveling around and picking up injuries and and all that sort of thing. But I don't want to let that ruin the experience for me. It's still going to be a a, a terrific game. Uh, Messi I don't expect to play based on what I'm hearing now. He's been training a little bit, but doesn't sound totally at full speed yet. Uh, that said, Barcelona now is the leader in the league after Real Madrid lost their last game before uh, the break. Uh, people starting to be pretty critical about Rafa Benitez in Madrid. The standards are so high. You, know, you have to win the league. You have to do it playing well. Uh, he's been dealing with a lot of injuries, and, and they have led for most of the season until uh, right now, basically. But um, you know, there's questions uh, about Cristiano Ronaldo. Is he starting to decline a bit? Uh, can he and Bale play uh, together for this team for very long? Uh, you know, Barcelona, Neymar and Suarez, especially Neymar, have been absolutely terrific during this absence for Lionel Messi, and that has to make Barcelona fans feel really good about um, about the team, about Luis Enrique. Uh, the job he's done has been fantastic. Uh, and there's not a ton of pressure on Barcelona in this game. It's an away game. I mean, there's pressure, obviously, but... Um, you know I, I think for for barcelona if you get a tie in this game uh, on the road against madrid you're still going to be leading the league and you've already played your away game at madrid um so you know let's see what happens here the guy for me to watch is neymar you know i think he's really started to assert himself as uh, as one of the best players in the world and not about promise as much as results he's delivering lately uh and uh, if he could get uh, a huge performance here and, and lead Barcelona to a win in the Bernabeu, uh, the legend of Neymar will continue to grow.
2: I think you're looking at 2016 potentially as the year of Neymar, to be honest. I mean, we've seen Messi and Ronaldo kind of dominate the the player of the year competition for the last what, seven years. Um, but, you know, you look at the opportunities that are there for Neymar, obviously what he's doing at the end of the season won't count for, for the following Ballon d'Or. But um, but you know, as the next year comes along, if he can really continue this form and, and lead Barcelona to more European trophies and another Spanish league trophy, and then you look at Copa America and then you look at potentially playing in the Olympics, uh, there, there are opportunities for him to, to kind of na- take that next step. I know Joey Barton liked to call him a show pony, a guy that, that really wasn't all about the hype. Uh, you know what he's, he's, he's legit. He's good.
3: He really is fantastic. And the goal he scored, uh, recently where he sombreroed a guy in the in the box and and finished perfectly I, that is everything that Neymar brings to the table and you know, such an exciting player
2: it is yes um security measures have have been said to be heightened uh, at the Bernabeu this this weekend for obvious reasons the uh the tragic terrorist attacks in Paris um obviously awful um you know just 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 a horrible horrible thing um thoughts with with all of all of the victims, um, and and we saw it followed by a bomb scare in, in Germany that forced uh, the Germany Netherlands game to be canceled. Uh, we saw Belgium Spain that friendly was canceled over security issues. Uh, just it's a scary time. It, it makes you just. I mean, soccer matches are are a target, right? I mean, you're looking at almost 100,000 people in a in a place at a time. Uh, there are reports that uh, that one of the bombers in Paris had a ticket to the game uh, and was not let in that stadium uh but grant the way that um england and france the friendly that they played in in the immediate aftermath just a few days a few days later i thought that was um just perfect
3: i thought england couldn't have handled that any better uh just the solidarity with france um I, a lot some people thought the game shouldn't have gone on I'm, I'm glad the game did happen uh i'm glad that uh the french national anthem was sung in the way it was sung it's a wonderful anthem uh and had so much meaning uh, when the whole crowd at Wembley was singing it. And we're going to see this weekend uh, the anthem sung before every Premier League game. And um, so you know, that's pretty cool to see. And uh, I understand why the the friendlies were canceled uh, in Belgium and uh, in Germany. you got to make a decision based on whatever intelligence you have. Uh, but I think it is a good thing... That soccer can provide when you are able to go ahead with events like england france like the premier league games this weekend like uh the classico this weekend and um yeah security is going to be heightened i think people just need to understand that and and be patient with it but um uh what's happened over the last couple of weeks is so much bigger than soccer and yet um you know soccer is connected to it
2: yeah 100 couldn't uh, couldn't have said it better Myself, uh, so we'll put a wrap on uh, that segment, take a quick break, and then come back with Caleb Porter, manager of the Portland Timber. Our colleague here at SI, Michael Beller, does a must-listen show for fantasy football players. Each week, Michael delivers two episodes with one goal, helping you win your fantasy league. If you haven't tried Daily Fantasy yet, our new deal lets you try it risk-free on FanDuel. When you use our code PLANET at FANDUEL.com, you can enter a no-risk tournament. That's any tournament offered on FANDUEL at up to $10. If you win, you keep the money. If you lose, FANDUEL will refund your account, guaranteed. FANDUEL is the best place to play one-week fantasy football. Building a team is easy and fun. Just pick your players and stay under the salary cap. Entry fees start at just $1, so there's a league for everyone. They also offer the NBA and NHL, so you can play fantasy sports for real cash any night of the week. FanDuel is not just for large tournaments. You can set up a private league and play against your friends anytime, anywhere. Think you know fantasy football? Come and prove it over at FanDuel.com. Over two million players have already won money on FanDuel, and now it's your turn. To get started, go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Then use our code PLANET and sign up now. Here's a great new offer for our listeners: If you enter a league and you don't win, FanDuel will refund your money. That's any contest you want, up to ten bucks. So you can sign up on FanDuel.com and use our code PLANET, then make a deposit and choose your league. If you don't win, you'll get that money right back in your FanDuel account. The only way to get this no-lose offer is to go to FanDuel.com, click the microphone, and use our code PLANET. FanDuel.com, where it can finally pay to be a fan. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Try it out
3: today. We have a special guest on today's podcast. His Portland Timbers are in the MLS Western Conference Final against FC Dallas starting Sunday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on FS1. Caleb Porter, thanks for speaking to the SI Planet Football Podcast.
1: Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on today. So
3: congratulations on making the MLS Final Four. Portland made the conference final, got this far two years ago. Uh, falling to Salt Lake, that was your first season as a professional coach. How different is it reaching this level now after not making the playoffs last year?
1: Well, I, I think certainly it's two years later. So uh, you know that's uh, a lot more games, a lot more uh, highs and lows, which is natural in uh, MLS. Um, you know, I feel like we're we're more mature mature. We're wiser. Uh, That comes with experience, um, myself included in that. You know, so we're really pleased to be, um, you know, in the conference finals for the, like you said, the second time in three years. Um, Last year was tough to miss the playoffs by a and to do it the way we did on the last day where we won versus Dallas, ironically, uh, at Dallas. And and then to have, you know, Vancouver score a late goal, I think that made it even harder. You know, we felt like we were on a great run last year at the end of the year and, and that we could have made made some noise in the playoffs, you know, and we ended up missing it out, missing on it by a point um, with 49 points. Um, you know, so it was a long off season, And, uh, you know, we started the year a bit slow this year as well. And, you know, we've gone through some ups and downs. I don't think it's really anything that, you know, other clubs don't go through. Um, you know, but in the end we've, we've really, uh, peaked at the right time. And, you know, last six games, we've been extremely confident. We've, we've been balanced all year defensively, but we've finally gotten the attack rolling and it couldn't come at a better time. So we look forward to this series with Dallas. It's going to be a difficult one. You
3: and I spoke at length before the season started, and you talked about how you were going to become more pragmatic in your approach with your team this year. Would you say that is what's happened?
1: I mean, I think as a coach, and, and listen, I'm I'm a young coach. I'm 40 years old, and you know I've been coaching for a long time. Um, for for someone that's 40, um, because my playing career ended early. Um, you know, but I still have a lot to learn. And I think, you know, coaches go through stages, phases where they're studying. And, um, you know, when you're studying, you, you tend to really want to implement and, and execute the things you're studying. And part of the reason I went studied more the defensive side and being more pragmatic is that's something I've never really had to do. You know, in Akron, we pretty much lost every game. We had a lot of talent I knew mostly going into to every game was going to be about figuring out how to score, how to break down numbers. And, you know, most teams just sat back and and it was pretty much the same game every game. How are we going to score, manage the counter, don't get beat on set pieces? Um, you know, we knew we'd be the dominant team. And, uh, you know, I carried that into the first year with Portland. And we played a very, you know, open – you know i would say at times reckless we we win games 4-3 sometimes you know you saw the scores we were the number one uh, or one of the number one of the top attacking teams in the league but we gave up a lot of goals and it you know it worked out in that first year we kind of rode that wave all the way through the year um, year 2 you know we we did this, a similar thing we scored a lot of goals we were top 3 again but we gave up too many goals and and we fell short at you know, I felt on the defensive side. So, you know, I, I felt I needed to go and, and study a little bit and learn. And, and you know, I've never been a huge Mourinho-Chelsea fan. I like Mourinho's management, um, you know, and he's a, obviously a master of psychology. But, I, you know, I've never been a huge fan of the way his teams have played. I've always been more in the, the purist, uh, on Hall and, and Pep Guardiola and Bielsa. A category. But, um, you know, I recognize that Mourinho's teams win. And, you know, I started reading a lot about him and, you know, the way that he looks at a game and the way he adjusts based on the opponent, um, you know, and, and is very uh, well-rounded. And, I, you know, for me, that's the way the modern game's gone. I think you have to, you can't be this whole idea of, oh, I have one ph- philosophy that's going to work with every team in every league. Um, and every game, I think, is very naive and unrealistic. You know, and I hope to be a coach for a long time. And who knows? Um, depending on the team and the the talent I have, depending on the league I'm in, all those things you have to be adaptable. And I think that's where Mourinho's really gotten it right. Is you know he can go in any league, he can go in any team, and he can he can adapt and he can figure out a way to to win. Although he's not working out this year. <laughs> So that was kind of a, you know, it's a long-winded, sorry, long-winded response. So that's why I went and, and kind of studied, you know, Chelsea. And I think, you know, you saw early in the year, right away, we defended a lot better, but I think I probably at times overdid that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my nature of wanting to, you know, attack, which has always been a trademark by teams, kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit. And I, and, so there, there, there came a point, you know, where we, you know, we're struggling. And I think when you, when you see coaches struggle, they go one of two ways, either they, they could, the wheels fall off and they completely lose themselves or they go back to what they really believe in. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of what happened with me going into the Salt Lake game is I knew pressure was on. I knew we needed to win. I and and you know, for me, I was never gonna um I was never gonna uh you know, be tentative in that type of situation. You know, if I'm gonna go down, I'm gonna go down swinging and I'm gonna go down doing what I believe in. And uh, you know, we switched our formation, went back to one holding mid, moved Darlington in the middle, and you know, we knew because our team was more balanced that the defending would still be there. Um But we kind of, you know, I would say kind of let the reins a little bit off uh, the attacking side of our team, and, and, you know, we kind of came to life, and I think what you're seeing now is we have the right balance between a little bit of pragmatism and what I would say is patient, defending, and, you know, organization, compactness, with that attacking brand of soccer, you know, that free flowing, the possession and, you know, getting numbers forward and being, um, you know, a threat to the opponent. Um, and so I think we've gotten that right in the last six games.
3: Yeah. Balance was the word I was thinking about uh, when you talked about Mourinho and what his teams have had for so many years. And, and actually, you know, this season being the exception for Chelsea and and that balance not really being there for them on the defensive end. I mean, you guys conceded 13 fewer goals this season than you did last season uh, during the regular season. And there's two individuals I wanted to ask you about because they, to me, sort of represent the balance that you guys have found this season in the sense of one being Nat Borchers, the other being Darlington Nagby, and what their two skill sets have allowed you to do.
1: you know coaches are team builders and you have to get the right pieces and i really love that part of the, of the job um, they're all they're all pieces of the puzzle and you know you love tinkering and getting getting the you know the uh, complementary uh, strengths and weaknesses um, you know to work and going into this offseason and into this year and building that balance in our team you know we made the decision, me, Gavin Merritt, um, to add a central defender. And I was really adamant on adding an MLS guy, mm-hmm. a guy that's been, you know, basically battle tested through the years, who knows the league inside and out, has been in every stadium time and time again, has been through games, has been in a winning locker room, knows every attacker in the league. And I wanted to get a guy that, all he cares about is defending and clean sheets Mm -hmm. is maybe not always the sexiest player and how he does it. And, you know, frankly underrated for all the little things, but absolutely never takes a playoff focused, you know, and, you know, I've made mistakes of going with the really athletic central defender, the, the guy that you, you, you put in for potential. And, you know, what's funny about that is, the really athletic central defender I've found, while he'll make great plays, probably more player plays than like an app orchards, he gets beat in moments. He gets beat mentally. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you're gonna give up goals, but I've learned that I'd rather give up a goal where a guy actually gets beat because it's a great goal or a great play than to worry every game that my central defender is going to get beat mentally and going to tune out. And, you know, I knew in that, that we'd have a guy that would never tune out. He'd stay uh, focused. He would get beat some for some goals, sometimes for pace, but he'd never get beat mentally. And I want a guy like that in my team, you know, who can be the conscience, um, you know, almost an extension of me, a guy that's going to make sure everybody's dialed in for 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then with Darlington, uh, you know, his evolution, I mean, I could talk for hours on that, but, you know, what I've seen with him is, you know, he's become now a complete player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he's been an interesting player for everybody to figure out, kind of an enigma. I've, I've heard that word. Um, and he's been an enigma for me as well in, in figuring out how to motivate him and figuring out what his best position is. You know, and I know him better than anybody. He's a he's kind of a, a hybrid player in that he doesn't really fit a role, um, or he hadn't, you know. But uh, I think we might have really found his, his best spot, and that's as a box-to-box midfielder, mm. a guy that – because he wants the ball. He wants the ball. His number one priority is keeping the ball. I've tried to break that from him um, because, you know, he just never wants to give the ball away, almost to a fault. Mm. You know, you have to – the goal scorers take risks. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't like to give the ball away. It's like a prized possession for him. And, you know, so instead of trying to break that, we've tried to embrace it now and just say, if you want to keep the ball, then just abuse the opponent with possession. And when you play him central in a little bit more like a, an eight, number eight, he'll actually come deep. He'll get the ball. He gets his touches. He can drive from there on the midfield on and off the ball he's extremely explosive when he does that. So he becomes almost our rhythm player. And then when we get in the final third, then he gets higher and now he'll find those little pockets and those, those spaces between the layers. And funny enough, because he's gotten his touches and come to life in the game, you know, he doesn't feel like now on every touch, like it's his last and now he'll take more risks, you know, because he's had more touches and he feels the game and the flow um, versus maybe he's wide and doesn't touch it as much, and now he gets it, and you know he, he feels like he has to keep the ball because he hasn't had it. Um, so it, it's been it's been amazing to see his evolution, um, you know, and and I think his defending as well. You know, I, I that was my worry in the middle, mm-hmm. playing with one. Can he do the defending? And I think, you know, he's never going to be a ball winner, but he wins balls just because he's so athletic and he's smart positionally. Mm
3: -hmm. Obviously, he's coming off his first U.S. national team caps uh, this past week. I'm sure you're glad he's come back uh, healthy, 100%, right?
1: Yeah, I think it worked out perfect. He didn't play enough to really get chewed up or to be fatigued, but he played enough to stay fit and he got his first two caps. So he'll be confident. So I thought it was perfect.
3: Just for a quick you know, moment about his national team prospects, what is the U S getting in a player like Nagby? And, and if he gets an opportunity, is this a, a player the national team could potentially build around?
1: For sure. I think, uh, He's different. He's a different player than than what we have um, currently uh, in the national team. You know, he's he's um, he's a guy that you know. My big question was with Jurgen is how's he going to use him, and you know, I didn't have the answer because it took me time to figure out how to use him as well. (laughs) So, and it depends on the system, really. And and yet, you know, if you have a really good player and this is what I came to is forget what he's not doing, figure out a way to make him, you know, work. And, uh, I think that's, you know, when you have a really good player like Darlington, you got to figure out how to make it work so that he can help your team be very successful. Um, but I think he's, he's very unique and different. You, you, you saw in the two games he played, he just, he he understands the flow of a game and, uh, you know, he wasn't going to come in and be rattled. Technically there's composure immediately on the ball and he'll play much better as time goes on when he gets more comfortable. And and like you said, he starts to take, take risks, but he played it right. He, you know, he kept the ball, you know, he's trying to earn his stripes in that team. And you, and you saw eventually everybody just started passing to him, you know, all the time. And it's because they know he's not going to lose it. They start to trust his game. And um, I'm excited to see you know, the next camp and see what steps he makes forward.
3: Back to the playoffs, the single craziest moment of this year's MLS playoffs so far has been the 11-round penalty kick shootout that you guys had against Kansas City, uh, which featured goalkeepers deciding things from the spot at the end, also f- featured uh, two chances for you guys to lose at home. Uh, and Kansas City hitting three posts on those two chances without converting. Have you ever experienced anything remotely like what happened that night?
1: No, I've been through. You know, like I said, over the last fifteen years as a coach, I've been through a lot of, a lot of highs, a lot of lows, some crazy things. Um, <laughs> I've seen it all, but I've never seen that. Never, never even seen that. Um, you know, let alone be a part of it. And it was, it was one of the most torturous things. If you can imagine, you know, actually having your livelihood attached to it um, to, to, to stand and watch 22 kicks. Um, and I, and I think there was, like you said, two or three times where we were, it, it was over if they make it, uh, uh, you know, and then there were two or three times where, if we make it, um, then they're under pressure and they miss those moments, and they miss those moments, you know, and, and then you start to, when it happens, when, when one hit the post twice, <laughs> I turn to my assistants and I said, we're winning this game. that Because that just doesn't happen, and then you lose the game. <laughs> you know, I, when, when that happens, you win the game. And, uh, you know, what I said after the game was, when you win a game like that, usually you don't go and lose the next round. You know, you know. I believe in that. There's there's this aura building of, you know, this is our year, and, and the guys believe that we're going to keep moving on and that that wasn't just the last three games of the year and that penalty kick shootout wasn't just an aberration.
3: You guys have had a lot of success on the road, especially late in the season. Won at Columbus, Salt Lake, L.A. You won the playoffs at Vancouver. Uh, It hasn't always been a strong suit of the Timbers in the past, playing on the road. Does that change your approach to the first leg this weekend at home, knowing that getting a result on the road is something you guys can do?
1: Yeah, I believe we've, over the last two years, been the best road team in terms of wins, we have 14 wins on the road in the last two years. So we're very uh, we're very consistent and comfortable. I think that shows, again, our, our consistency in how we play home and away. You know, we don't waver a ton, but we seem to play a little bit more with a lower block. Uh, part of that's the opponent at home tends to carry the game a little bit more, which actually puts us in what I would call as a sweet spot of – game plan, you know, because the opponent naturally opens up a little bit more. We'll still keep the ball at times and manage the game that way, but we we tend to find more chances on the counter when we're on the road, which we're a very good counterattacking attacking team uh, when that happens. Um, so we know that, yeah, we can go on the road and we can win, and recently we've gotten some big results. That L.A. Galaxy one was, was huge when we won five to two. And we didn't, we didn't just pinch that result. We, do, we dominated the game. So I think that's what makes it even better. Columbus Crew was one of our best games of the year against a really good team as well. When we, you know, we like I said, we went toe-to-toe with them and, and won the game. So it's interesting with the away goals, um, Grant, because I think the whole thought behind it was to encourage the uh, road team to attack more. mm mm-hmm. But I think what's what it's what it's done is actually made the home team be a little bit more conservative. Mm. Um, and certainly that's the way we approached the Vancouver series in the first leg. We were a little more conservative. Um, part of that was we had a game that Thursday. I don't think we'll be as – we're not going to be as, as conservative in this first leg because we're fresh. Um, but I think we'll definitely be patient. We'll, we won't be reckless. We won't uh, do what we did in 2013 in the first leg was get opened up for a 4-2 loss. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a huge learning experience for for our team, myself included. It was too big a hill to climb in that second leg. So I think first legs are always a little more patient, um, you know, and then we know we can go on the road and, and win, and we have won at Dallas twice. You know, we beat them in the Open Cup. Uh, in 2012, uh, sorry, in 2014, um, or maybe it was 13, I forget. Uh, and then we beat them last game of the year last year. So we have done well at Dallas. Although this year we got smashed 4-1 in the game we played at their home place. Um, but we also beat them 3-1 at our place. So it was kind of a tale of two games.
3: I was going to um, ask. But it
1: shows. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead.
3: Sorry, sorry I was just going to ask you about the matchup because you know you guys split during the regular season. Um, they were the best team in the league, or in, in the Western Conference, at least, in the uh, regular season. What do they do, Dallas, that will test you, and, and where do you see room for success against them?
1: They kind of remind me of uh, us in 2013. They kind of play a very kind of swashbuckling game. They're young. They're, they're explosive. Um, I don't think they fear anyone. I don't think their players, you know, uh, think too much about the opponent. Um, you know, that unbridled, youthful, you know, um, attacking play is, I think what, what's made them good. And that's Oscar, that's his team. He knows these guys. He has a good relationship with them and he's freed them up and they're attacking and, you know, it's, it's worked out. Um, you know, so like I said, I think they, they remind me a lot of our team in 2013, you know, when we were just going and attacking and not with no real care in the world. Um, you know, our team this year, we're a little bit more, you know, mature and patient. You know, we've, we've been in the playoffs now twice, and I think you see that in our play. But the big thing with Dallas is they're just explosive uh, Barrios and Castillo on the wings. If you get on time and space and you get in, into a track meet, they'll open you up. You'll lose the game, um, plain and simple. So we won't let the game get that way. And then Mauro Diaz, I think, is is probably the best number 10, I would say, in the league uh, based on this year. He's extremely clever. He can jump defenders. He can play final balls. And you put him with Castillo and Barrios and those three guys, like I said, um, you know, can can really open you up if you get into an open game and you let them get uh, space to play.
3: Both you and Oscar Pareja are pretty intense guys uh, on the field, uh, and, and there was a moment after one of your games this season when uh, instead of the typical handshake, Oscar had a, a tissue. He was waving at you, and you told him to point to the scoreboard. Uh, or to look at the scoreboard. Uh, what what happened in that moment? And, and what, uh, have you guys had much communication since?
1: I'm, I'm laughing just because it was eight months ago and, you know, you try to forget about it, but then you think <laughs> about it and you just, you know, you just, it's one of those things where you think, you know, what were we doing? <laughs> um, you know, I didn't instigate it, but I also didn't like, you know, the way I reacted, um, to it. You know, we, like I said, it was eight months ago, and we had a game uh, a few weeks later. I think it was four <laughs> weeks later, and it was at Dallas. And, uh, you know, Oscar gave me a big hug before the game, apologized. I apologized to him. Um, it was just one of those things in the heat of the battle that, that happens. You know, neither one of us, I, I, we're proud of it, um, you know. And as coaches, we sometimes, we lose our lose our heads just like, you know, everybody else, you know, it's it's been played up a little bit more than I think is really an issue. I've had two issues um, in post-game handshakes, two. <laughs> uh, one, one was the Pep Guardiola, and one was Oscar. And in both games we won, and, and in neither game did I instigate it. Um, you know, but it's it's good to talk about, you know, it's not all bad. You know, you have those, those – those things that increase interest, um, but I don't think that type of thing will ever happen again. And I know, like I said, neither one of us were, were uh, too proud of it. I
3: will say this. I was a, a, For the first time this year, I did sideline reporting for television broadcast, and it really hit me how intense a lot of guys in this league can get. Uh, on the field during a game, and it's one thing when I'm doing writing and I interview people in the post game situation in the locker room and they've had some time to cool off. But on the field, when you're doing the on field interviews, it can get uh, you know guys' emotions are running high. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing.
1: No, I mean it shows you care. Um, you know, I'm I'm all in, 24 hours a day. This is my job. It's my life. It's it's everything. And uh, I'm I'm extremely competitive. I, I hate losing. Um, you know, I don't I don't I don't I don't like losing. You know, um, but I always handle myself with class. I've never had an issue after I've lost. You know, coach now in the league over 100 games, and you know, you know, lost. Uh, I don't know how many, but you know, I, I've I've always sh- shaken the coach's hand after a loss, even though I don't always like it. <laughs> Um, but it but it does. It shows everybody's passionate, and um, it's not a bad thing for your players to see that. And and uh, ultimately, in this league, we want competitive players and competitive coaches that want to win. And rising tides raise all ships, you know. So we have coaches now that are pushing each other, and players push pushing each other, and that raises the level of the league.
3: Now your team has had two weeks off during the FIFA break to get ready for this Western Conference final. Wow. Has it been tempting to try and, and, or have you tried to figure out how to balance the preparations on how, how hard you should push them for these two weeks and, and push yourself even?
1: Yeah, it's a strange format, but it's, again, it's MLS. And, you know, I remember 2013, we had, we had played a game on a Thursday the second leg versus Seattle. We were, the, we were the team that won the West and had the highest seed. And we beat Seattle in the second leg to go through. And we had to turn around two days later and play at Salt Lake. And, you know, I thought that's not an advantage for us (laughs) being the higher, being the higher seed, you know, to have to go and travel coming off of just winning a series that I thought it was an advantage for Salt Lake and they were the lower, lower seed. And, you know, interestingly enough, this year we were the three seed, um, you know, based on 34 games, we were the three three seed in the Western Conference, and you know, in the Western Conference, the seating is irrelevant because every team's good. We end up playing Sporting Kansas City um, on the Thursday, you know, and then you look at the other games. The lower seeds play on Wednesday, so in theory, they had a little more rest to then turn around on Sunday. So sometimes that. I don't get it, but, you know, ultimately it's not easy to figure out the format. Um, but we ended up playing Kansas City and then turning around, you know, two days later again and playing Vancouver, who was only the second seed, and they had a full weeks rest. Um, so that was a huge advantage for Vancouver in that first, first leg. Um, but we got through it, and, and then now we've got, you know, two weeks off. So it's kind of a strange rhythm. Um, but going back to your question, you know, what I've tried to do last week was recharge, sharpen up. We still trained hard for three days, but it was more about us, sharpening some things, um, you know, no, no concepts that relate to Dallas, um, you know, but just general concepts to get us better and keep your, your fitness, but recharge. And then we gave the weekend off. And then this week was a normal week, normal periodization, physically, normal tactical cycle, um, you know, and, uh, you know, just like any other week this week.
3: All right. Well, thank you for taking so much time to talk to us, Caleb. Good luck in the Western Conference Final. Look forward to talking again soon.
1: Thanks a lot, guys, for having me on. Take care.
2: That'll do it for this week's episode of the Planet Football Podcast. I want to thank Caleb Porter again for his time. It's a fantastic interview. Uh, Grant Wall, Brian Strauss, our producer, Alex Abnos. And actually, if uh, you're interested in another soccer-themed podcast, Richard Deitch on the SI Media Podcast this week had uh, iconic soccer announcer Andres Contour. Uh, and you can find that on our SI Network of Podcasts, si.com slash podcasts. Definitely encourage you to give that a listen. Uh, we'll be back. Next week, wrapping up the first legs of the MLS playoffs and a little bit more. We'll be back next week to talk about the first legs of the MLS conference finals and so much more. Thank you again for listening. We will talk to you next time.
0: Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.